Well, thank you so much. It's, it, it always feels good to receive a gift and to be accompanied by my family today um, is, is a real pleasure. As, as I mentioned, I can't take them everywhere I go. I'll be in a different church next, next month, a different one the other month. And, and because of her spiritual formation and disciplines, uh, we have to keep um, in one congregation. But a couple of ladies were looking at me and saying, do you really have one the way you have spoken to us? And I say today, well, I'll bring one. And yeah, <laughs> my own. Um, I, have, I have an assignment with Adele that I haven't told her yet. Um, we would like to memorize 52 passages of scripture by the end of 2023. Uh, we will do one a week. Um, her brain is brand new. Uh, mine has had a bit of beating. So I'm sure she's going to always win me as we do these memory verses. How, when is the last time you did a memory verse? Let me see by a show of hands if you have done one last month. Okay, well, there are few believers in the house. <laughs> well, I would encourage you to do this. This is not a practice for young children. This is a practice for every believer. Um, I would really encourage you to do that. It's, it's the way of warfare. Let me begin this, this session with prayer because part of what we're going to enter into is, is parenting. It's, it's an area that is tough for all of us. Marriage and parenting is the only profession that invites amateurs to practice. And because we are amateurs in this and we learn on the job, we look to God to give us everything that we need as pertains life and godliness and guide us in this area. So let's pray. Father God, not to us, but to your name alone, be all the glory. For your unending faithfulness and steadfast love in our lives, we give you all the glory, the glory which belongs fully to you. Father, all that we have accomplished as families, as couples, as parents, in businesses, you have done for us. And the many fruit that we harvest is a gift from your hand alone. Help us to know that we are only jars of clay that call this priceless treasure and that we exist for only one reason and one reason alone, to bring pleasure to you, to please you and glorify you with everything that we have. So today, as we glorify you for the families that you have given us, for the children that you've blessed those families with and for the principles that you have bestowed upon us to live well in those families, we pray that we'll give you all the glory and honor. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn them to the book of Ephesians 6, chapter number 1 through 4, will be the subject of our time. If you're new and you're coming, joining us today, we've been on a series on fulfilled families, and we talked about the family under attack. We looked at the S word, the dreaded S word, which is submission. We looked at the misunderstood L word, which is love. And today we are going to be looking at obedience. I'm going to be speaking to you as children, to your parents, but I'm also going to be speaking to you as parents, to your own children. Um, so this is going to be interesting. I want you to go back to the time that you lived with your parents, would you? Do you picture yourself? Let's just imagine that we size you up to a toddler and we take you back to your family. And you have to grow with them for the, from the time you're a toddler all the way to the time that you're a teenager. 
The question is, what, do you, what would you change about your relationship with God, uh, with, with your parents, sorry? What would you change about your relationship with your parents? What would you do differently if you got back into their hands? Come on, ask your neighbor. What would you do? If you are to be a child again, how many mistakes would you like to undo? I'd like to sample a few thoughts. Um, uh, there, people on this side, one of them, I heard them say that they would, they would, they would get a gun from Isli. <laughs> not, not really. Um, anyone who'd like to share, what would you do differently? Um, there's a mic going round. I'd like to hear. Um, I'll have one more question in the middle of the session. So uh, there, there's a hand over there. What would you do differently? Um, So in my teenage years, um, right from toddler to teenage years, I would obey. And I would actually know that they know better. Because I always thought I knew better than yes. them. Sir. Yes. Isn't it amazing that when we are 17, we think we know everything and our parents have no idea? And then when we, when we get our own children, that's when we discover they were right all along and I was wrong and that settled it. Okay. Anyone else? Um, this side, you should not be defeated. Okay, in the middle now, we've got, and uh, we will get one from that side, so get ready. Mm -hmm. I think I've shared this before. My dad died when my mom was 37, mm -hmm. and I had a lot of expectations. But when I turned 37, I realized that my mom was actually very young. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I could have supported her more. Oh, yeah. Some of the realizations that we get, um, as especially as we begin to experience what our parents experience. Um, right, thanks for sharing. One more on this side. Um, a few courageous ones who would want to go back and disobey. No, not quite. <laughs> yeah, was there a hand? Yeah. Look for a courageous man and give them the mic. Hi, everybody. Mm -hmm. I'll speak on behalf of my neighbor. So. <laughs> So um, he has used the term inconsiderate, yes. such that when uh, those days we were young, we used to think they are inconsiderate, they do not consider us. But right now, for him, he has uh, kids, and he's seen that they were right all along. Yeah. I think that's it for us. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Ladies, you may have this feeling after your first child, you have this um, longing and unstoppable desire to talk to your mother and thank her. Because it, it all comes together and you notice, oh, this is what you have to go through. Some of the conversations that I'm having with my 21-year-old son is how right I was and how wrong he was, and this is coming from his mouth. And some of the things that I told him, he was wearing two earphones and I could hear the music. And he was listening. 
And he would tell me that, and I would say, were you listening? And he said, yes, I was listening, but I didn't want to make you think that I was listening to you. I wanted you to feel a little mad that I wasn't listening to you. But they, were, they listen. They take notes about this. It's just that their hormones, their age, and where they are in life doesn't you know, demand them to want to do things like those. They don't want to show their humility at that time. This session is going to be both encouraging and rebuking as well. And the reason I say that is because there are no, there's no one in this life who is perfect as a parent, who is perfect as a wife, who is perfect as a husband. Last week's message and this week's message, part of it is addressed to myself because I've got a few mistakes that I would like to correct even as we raise this girl. I've got a few regrets that I've had as a parent, and I've got a few things I'd like to take to God in prayer today and ask him, would you please guide me and lead me in the way I should go and in the way I should lead my parents? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the earth, on the earth. Verse 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to love, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now this is a culmination of passages that we've read all the way from Ephesians 5, where we started talking about speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and be filled with the Spirit, not with wine wherein in excess. And that passage prepared us for the instructions that God wanted to give us for fulfilled families. And the first one, submission. The second one was love. And now the last one is children being told to obey. And then outside the pressings of the family, we begin to see how servants are also requested to submit. So this epistle assumes that children would be in charge when the letter of Paul would be read. How many of you have any clue when we had segregated churches for teenagers and children in church. How many of you know when that happened? It didn't happen a century ago. It happened a few years ago, probably no more than 40 years ago. In Kenya, teens' churches were coming up when I was still serving as in my 20s at Nairobi Lighthouse Church. That's when teen segregated church was happening. And this is when we begin to have age-denominated services. But during the time of Bible writing, children came to church with their parents. And this elicited very good discussions between them. And so Paul expected that if he writes this letter, the children would be in the service while their part was being read, and also when the part of the parents was being read, part of the husband, part of the wife was being read. And this led to very great discussions after that at the family altar because all of them had the same word. Granted, we've gone the way we have gone. There is a pastor who decried of the fact that he did not know that his daughter was not going to church for the last six months. They would leave home. It, they had minister multiple services, and so he would not check until the children pastor who was in charge or their teens told, her, told him, that your daughter has not been coming to church for the last six months. It was a shock for him. If they came to the same congregation, he would have known the first time. So let me put it this way. <clears throat> that section that is over there 
have no responsibility for your children. The responsibility to pastor, to grow, to disciple, to have spiritual formation of our children is not upon the children's church or the children's pa church pastor. It's not upon the teens' pastors. It is upon the parent. And God holds responsible the parent for that responsibility. So in this passage of scripture, we are going to draw three ideas. The first one is the requirement to obey parents. The second one is the respect towards parent. And the third one will be the, reg the regulation of the parental responsibility that we have, because it has to be regulated. Otherwise, it can be authoritarian. The first one, the requirement to obey parents. And that's obedience. Who does God command us to obey or command to obey? God commands children to obey their parents. Now, many of you sitting at the sound of my voice over here are not children, and therefore you are not expected to obey. How do we define a child? The word children derives from a Greek word called technon, which means anyone who, of any age who is living under the roof of their parents. That's the way the Bible defines a child. Anyone of any age who still lives under the roof of the parent. Now, if you have a child who is 36 and still lives under your roof, it is a child and God expects them to obey. Now, the Bible does not in any way require parents or parents don't command grown-ups who are living independently in their own homes to obey. And that would be wrong for that to happen. And whenever that has happened, a mother-in-law has come into a marriage and has commanded the wife of her son or vice versa, and it has not ended up well because they are still treating them as children. Your responsibility ends when they leave the home. Your responsibility ends when they turn 20. Remember in the wilderness, people who are under 20 were all saved. People who are over 20 were all died in the wilderness. So God recognizes the age of a, ch a child to be guided by the parent up to about 20 years of age, not 18, according to the government, 20 years of age. And he continues to lay a responsibility upon you, and this is why there was a responsibility upon Eli, the priest, because his sons were still living under his household, even if they had their own wives, that he correct them. And when he didn't, they died the same day, and Eli died the same day as well. So instead, God expects grown-up independent children to honor their parents. Honor is an attitude. Obedience is an action. And so this distinction becomes very important for us, because if we don't distinguish this, then we, we get all in, into very murky waters, and we begin to command our own people, children who are 18 and above or 20 and above who are already on their own to obey us, yet God doesn't require them to do that as long as they are not in our roof. How does God expect children to obey them? The Bible tells us he wants, them, he wants us to obey as children in every way. The word obey derives from a Greek word called hapakanuo, which means to speak to a soldier so that the soldier listens and executes the command that is given to the soldier. So, as again, when we looked at the term um, submission, hupataso, it really talks about, it's a, it's a military term. And God is using military lingua in this um, to help us begin to look at the way we obey. So, 
a child is not obey, uh, expected to obey if they want to. Um, you don't obey a general if you want to. If you, don't, if you don't obey, you will have military justice on you. You are supposed to obey because you have to. And how, how do you have to? Because it's an action that is commanded by God. Children are to obey in all things, all things. Look with me in the book of Colossians 3, verse 20, part A. Say, children, obey your parents in all things. Obedient with the attitude that you're doing it for the Lord, not for the parent. And we will see this again. God has a way of making sure that we submit to him completely as we do what he commands us to do for one another. And this comes again in children. All things means those things that are in line with God's will. Imagine with me uh, some parents who are not believers. And all of a sudden, their child of seven years old believes. And one of the things that they were doing with the father is they would sit down, and as the father is having the bazaar, he would give it to the son to taste because that's the legacy that we pass on to our children as men. We take them to the place where we are drinking. I had this being told to me by a family that there was, there was the grandfather, the father, and the son, and the grandfather was seated with all of them, the three of them, and he was having his drink. And therefore, he skipped the father and gave beer to his grandchild and told the grandchild that beer is not for children because the child was his own son. <laughs> but the grandchild could take it. Now, you, you can see how convoluted this could be. Now, when parents give instructions that are contrary to God's word, God does not hold that child responsible for disobeying that instruction. But we know people who are in unbelieving homes, who've gone home and said, I've received Jesus, have received a thrashing for their lives, and they have not been guided very well. And so that's part of the persecution that we have to go through, even as little ones. Obedience with an attitude that it is unto the Lord. Now we see instances of defiance to authority in the book of Acts 5. Uh, chapter 29, up verse 29, sorry, where Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. If a child has to choose between obeying God and obeying a parent, he should obey God. Now, this doesn't mean that children are mock and they can do whatever they want to. They can do whatever they want to so long as God advocates for it. And so the kind of attitude that we have from children because of lack of this knowledge is, is very condescending sometimes. Do your demands to your children align themselves to God's word? Are there things that you're asking them to do that are misaligned to God's word? Let's just give a very uh, esoteric example. You have a daughter who is 17 who comes home and he, she's pregnant. And so one of the things that you want to do to save the family good image is to terminate the pregnancy. Now, if you tell your daughter to do that, that is already against God's word, and your daughter can look down at you and disregard your command because it goes against the commandments of God. Now, children are to obey because it is the right thing to do, just like it is the right thing for wives to submit and it is the right thing for husbands to love, children are also doing this because it's the right thing to do. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 20, the second part, obey your parents in all things 
for it is well-pleasing to the Lord. So basically, when we disobey our parents, who are we disobeying then? We are disobeying the Lord because we are not, no longer pleasing to God. It is a righteous thing to do within the structure of government that God has given in the home. And that structure is clear. Now, I want you to listen to me carefully here, parents, because when we are not submitting and loving one another, when we are not in one in unity, then our children go amok because we can't even agree on how to discipline them or on how to guide them. And so you'll find one of the parents go down to their children and tell them about their father or their mother uh, because they are so cross with one another. And children smell these things 10 kilometers away. They know when it is working between you and they know when it is not working. And God will just send that little child who is three years old and will pull the hand of the husband and the hand of the wife and will look at you and say, hug each other. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. Please listen to that commandment from them. You see, it's a righteous thing to do. Jesus submitted himself to his parents. Remember when they had gone to Jerusalem and on their way back, Jesus desired to go back to the temple and began reasoning with the scribes and the Pharisees and began opening the Bible in the book of Isaiah and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to teach good news to the poor and continues and says, this passage has been revealed all fulfilled in your hearing. And they are looking at this young man in awe and wonder. Joseph and Mary are all over looking for this, this deviant child who decided not to walk in the convoy of the parents. And they look everywhere. And finally, when they go to the temple, they said, we've been looking for you everywhere. Your father and I have been looking for you everywhere. I said, where have you been looking? Didn't you expect that I would be in the house of the Lord? And that could have sounded like Jesus was insubordinating, but he had put his father first before he put his earthly father and his earthly mother. And we read this in the book of Luke 2, 51 and 52, a passage that you must have been forced by your kindergarten teacher or your Sunday school teacher to memorize. You know, I know it in my mother tongue. You should also know it in a language that is different from English. He says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submitted to them after they got him from the temple. Now, I believe that the following statement that comes in is as a result of the submission that he showed to his earthly parents. Remember, Jesus left his throne to come and obey down here. So he submitted himself to earthly. And then he says, but his mother kept all these things at heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with men. I believe it is a consequence of submission. Hosea 14 verse 9, the Bible asks a couple of questions. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. What things? The way of the Lord. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and, and the righteousness and the righteousness walk in them. The righteous walk in them, sorry, but the transgressors stumble in them. So we then understand that God has called parents to have their children obey them. And a child is anyone who lives under their father's roof, whether they are 16 or 61. I want you to understand the consequence of that because it has become very trendy today for children not to leave their homes, for parents to love their children so much that even when they are of age, they do not kick them out of the house because of love. I know of families that haven't done that because the, the, the mother and the father have not agreed about it. 
I know of a family that continued in that until the wife passed on, and that's when the 35 and almost 39-year-olds left the house. Who wouldn't want to live in the house of their father to have all their bills paid for and take no responsibility and impregnate a few girls out there? Who wouldn't want that if you're driven by ungodly passion? And this is what we give them, and we call it love. We'll see in just a moment that ladies are most likely to spoil the children and fathers are most likely to provoke them to anger because of too much discipline. And, and those tensions, both of them do not end up well with children. The second thing we learn out of this passage of scripture is the respect towards parent. This speaks of honor. First of all, it's the requirement to obey, then the respect which speaks of honor. Look with me in Ephesians 6, verse 2 through two, uh, up to 3. The Bible says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on earth. I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage. First of all, this, this is the only command with a promise. This is the fifth commandment. You shall honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord thy God is giving you. But Paul, in this junction, notices that he is not just speaking to Israel who have been given a promised land. He is speaking to all believers who have been engrafted in the vine and therefore changes the wording a bit and doesn't use in the land the Lord, the Lord thy God is giving you although it is still applicable in terms of where you live. So what are the reasons that God gives us to honor our parents? And remember, who honors, who honors parents? Honor of parents starts from age zero to death. Obedience ends the moment you leave your father and mother's house to be on your own, which means that if you live at 16 and you have your family, obedience have ended and honor is expected to continue. Here's a question I'd like you to think about as we talk about this section. How would you describe your attitude towards your parents or your, guardian, or your guardians if your parents have passed on? You know, or that person that you call to come to a family event who represents your father. When is the last time you call them other than when you had the event? How have you honored them? What does God want you to change about that honor? Yesterday, um, traveled all the way to Nanyuki. I almost called Judy to tell her, you know, preach the sermon. I'm very tired this morning. We'd gone to bury my uncle. He was about 83 years old and congregated with the aunties, the maternal aunties and the maternal uncles. And I, and I had a thrashing for my life because they all asked me, even a phone call, you know, we didn't grow up knowing them. And so I have to take the initiative to really honor them because... My father is dead, her father and mother no longer exist, and therefore the people that we are looking up is my existing mother and those aunties. In case of anything that happens in the family, these will be our parents. And God challenged me and asked me, what have you done to honor them? I had done nothing to honor them. So this is my sermon as much as it is yours. The reason that God gives us to honor is because it is an excellent thing to do. Honor is excellent, you know. It's a commandment in the Bible. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment that has a promise. And the second thing that we need to honor our parents about is because it enriches the quality of our lives. It enriches the quality of our lives. Look with me in verse 6.3 of Ephesians, which says that it may be well with you. That means... 
that if we don't honor, there will be certain parts of our lives that will not be well with us. Now, I want you to notice this. When we do not honor our parents, they don't have to pronounce a curse for us to go, for our things to go badly. It is God who intervenes and says, you don't honor your mother and father. Your father will not even utter any word because we are not supposed to curse or, or to do anything except to bless. God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. It's not Abraham who was told to do those things. It's God who does it. So God steps in and see the suffering that the parent is going through as a result of what you're doing. And then he comes in with his rod and disciplines you. A well-known CEO in this country who led one of the major organizations, if I tell you the industry, you would know, had his father die out of hunger as he was trying to scheme for food on a certain mountain on a place that will live nameless. This person was well known even to the president of the country and had neglected his father completely. And when his father died, he took a chopper to go and get the remains of his father from that hill, build a house for his father while he was still in the mortuary and invited the president of the Republic of Kenya to come to the funeral. Do you call that honor? His businesses, all of them, have almost gone bust today. He's almost to a place of begging bread. I want you to listen carefully. <clears throat> we serve a just God. And as we saw when we discussed forgiveness, he repays. I will tell you, there may be things in your life that are not going well as, as well as you ought, they ought to go. And if you just start honoring your father and mother, there will be a blessing and parallel that will come to you. In what ways is your life enriched by honoring your parents? And you can also say, in what ways is your life deprived because of dishonoring your own parents? And I know some of you have real differences with your parents. You have real fights with them. They are not nice. We are not supposed to honor them because they are nice. We honor them because they are parents. That's why we honor them. We are not supposed to forgive people because people are nice to us. We are supposed to forgive them because it's a command from the Lord. And he says that if we don't forgive, he will not forgive us. See, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs 10, verse 17, that he who keeps instruction is in the way of life, but he who refuses correction goes astray. I pray to God today that you begin to heed, and I pray that our parents and our guardians will be forever happy the following week for the calls that they will receive. And, by the way, they don't mind M-Pesa. And for the little money that they will receive on their phone, and they'll say, and who are you? I am the daughter of so-and-so. And they will be so happy that you took time. Take time off your schedule. Visit them. Go to them. See them. You are sowing seeds of what you want your children to do to you. A father once was beaten so hard by his son almost to the point of death and looked at him and told him, Wamogumo, that was his name. He said, you have almost killed me, but now I remember that's the same kind of a beating that I gave your grandfather. Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. It extends the quality, the quantity of life as well. Look at verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 3b. And you may live long on earth. 
Long life has always been associated by the blessing of the Lord. We always hear about 70 years. I had about 70 years at the funeral of my uncle yesterday. And they talked about he was 83, so God added him 10 and gave him a bonus of another three. And that's true. He lived a long life. And when you look at it, you look and you will notice something, that people who do not honor their fathers and mothers, many of them do not live long. What happens to them most of the time? They either will get into drugs and they will kill themselves before their prime age. They will either be incarcerated and will go to prison and they will die prematurely there. Now, there are people who have done very well for their parents and they have done so good for them, but they died at age 30 and that was their long, good life that God gave them. When they did an autopsy on Martin Luther King's heart, they said he was 36 years old, but his heart was that of a man who was 98 years old. It is not the extent of the life, but the intensity of life that you live that really makes a difference. There are children, women, that have been given to you for six months, for one day, and they fulfill the purposes that God created them to fulfill. Sometimes we are left crying and asking why God had to take them so fast, but that was the purpose. So longevity of life is not normally counted in terms of years. While it is important for us to understand that if we live long, that's a blessing from God. But please understand, it is the number of years you cram into your life, not the, the extent of your age. You can live long and end up being like Hezekiah, destroying everything that you had created first. So the attitude towards this is important. That said, Job 5.26 helps us to understand that you shall come to the grave at full age. Now, God defines that full age as a sheaf of grain ripens in season. And there are people who've really blossomed. There are people who are 16 and they have accomplished so much. There are people who are 61 who cannot even compare with what a 16-year-old has been able to accomplish. Not in terms of buildings, but in terms of the impact that they have in other people's lives. What are the consequences of disobedience? Are there any? Were there any consequences of dishonoring your parents? They are huge. The passages of scripture that we may go to, all of them are from the Old Testament, but I choose not to go to Exodus 21, 17, which talks about the consequences. I choose not to go to Le Leviticus 20, verse 9, which talks about the same thing. I choose not to go to Proverbs 20, 20. You may note down these passages of scripture for your own reference later, but I choose to go to Matthew 15, verse 4. But before we do that, let's read Proverbs 30, 11. The Bible says, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There's a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. That's the same thing. Not blessing and not cursing are the same thing. And cursing are the same thing. Not cursing and blessing are the same thing. So there's a generation that curses the father. And there's also a generation that does not bless the mother. Question. Again, health check. How is your relationship with your parents? And then look at that intently, and then reflect and look at what's your relationship with your children? And if you sit in the hands of a coach, or if you're reflective enough, you begin to see the connection between your relationship with your father and your mother, and the relationship between your children and you, and is going to be a replica of what you did, or what you're not doing. So do you want better on this side? 
do unto others what you would have them do unto you. It's a golden rule. Jesus said in Matthew 15 verse 4, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother shall be put to death. Now this death may be physical, and we've seen them die. Okay? We've seen mothers cry at the funerals of their bank robbers because they can never deny their children. That was the best child they've got who footed all the bills from proceeds of crime. But she still loved them. Okay? It could be eternal death, separation from God, because of the nature of life that you have lived in dishonor to your parents, then you go through what is called eternal damnation. It could be the death of everything good in your life. I meet with people who are on their sixth, seventh marriage and doesn't seem to be working. Last year, about one, I met a man who was on his 10th marriage, and it still wasn't working. And he never quite stopped to think, why is this happening to me? And when I asked him, tell me about your relationship with your parents, he said, why should I go there? What has that got to do with what I'm going through right now? I said, it has everything to do with it. And true to the word, it had everything to do with it. You see, the requirement to obey our parents requires us to be humble. The respect towards our parent requires us to honor them in everything that we do. Please remember them. We live busy lives. I served in a church where every public holiday was taken away from me. And I had to come and church in public, in, in, in a public um, you know, holiday. I had to come and serve in church or show just cause why I should not have served or why I did not serve as an offering of an usher who was taking offerings. And I couldn't go home on Sunday. I was completely cut away from my family. I couldn't go see my father because church had become more important. I want you to listen to me carefully. God does not care, take care of your business if you take care of his business. Your business is your family. That's your first business. If you don't take care of that business, he does not take care of it. Talk to Billy Graham, and he says the greatest regret that he has in his life is he did not spend enough time with his family. One day, his own child was brought to the, to, to the, to the crusade where he was preaching, and he did not even notice that that was his child. It was not even brought by his wife. It was brought by a nanny uh, who was related to them, and he did not recognize his own child. To say that God will take care of my business if I take care of his business is irresponsibility. This is my business. And if I don't take care of this business, God calls me worse than a non-believer, which means he does not look favorably upon me. Pastors who go out, missionaries who go out and neglect their families, that is not heroic. Because God places the lonely in families. That's what he does. And that's the place where they are supposed to be nested. And that's why he says in the book of 2 Timothy that if you do not manage your family well, how will you manage the affairs of God? We read scriptures very selectively. And we don't understand the kind of weight that is upon us. Now that we are called then to begin to discipline our own children and to raise them up in God's way, what kind of regulatory authority has God placed around us to make sure that we do not act ultra bias and we do not begin to exercise undue authority on our children? Look with me to Ephesians 6 verse 4 that talks about, And you fathers, do not provoke your children 
to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. There's a lot packed in this passage of scripture. I'm not even sure we'll be able to go through all of it. Uh, quite a bit has been packed over there. But let's take a look at the first one. We do not provoke, we, we, are, we are not supposed to provoke the anger of our children. We are not supposed to do that. Why is that? The Bible tells us, a new fathers, the word that is translated here can be translated in general to mean parents, as it has been in the book of Hebrews 11.23, when the parents of Moses hid him for three months away so that he would not be killed. And that same word, which is patea, which talks about, which is translated as parents, then is translated here as a father. But I understand some of the nuances that we have in English language. We have this concept that fathers will always be hard on their children, and mothers sometimes may shower too much love on them. Oh, baba, baba, this is a two-year-old kid in the supermarket. First of all, when he was wearing diapers, he was a viper in a diaper. And now they are one and a half feet, and they're in the supermarket, and they do everything that they want. They control a grown-up. If they want this, it's okay, papa. If they want this one, it's okay, papa. And by the time that they are getting off at the checkout counter, and one week later, that child needs to see a dentist because of the things that she has done or he has done on his own teeth. Now, when the Bible is telling us not to provoke them, it is to provoke them lest they become discouraged. There is a level of discipline that we can institute on our children that really discourages them instead of encourages them. I still remember the way we would be beaten up in primary school with anything that had the semblance of a cane, a belt, or um, a hand of a djembe. Anything could be used on you. And there was a lot of harm that was meted on us. That's not what God is asking us to do. As we'll see in just a moment, he's calling us to discipline. To discourage them with unrealistic demands, unrealistic expectations. It is trying to live our dreams as fathers and mothers through our children for them to become what we did not become. That's not the way it should go. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's of age, he will not depart from it. This could be as simple as that, living your dreams through them. But what does the Bible tell us? It tells us to bring them up in the training of the Lord. The training of the Lord is also the, the, the discipline of the Lord. The Greek word that is used here is to rear them up to maturity, to nurture them, to nourish them. In training, the word that is used here is disciplinary correction. It is chastisement for godliness. So when the Bible talks about training, it's talking about discipline. There is nothing fun in going to the gym. Nothing fun at all. There's nothing fun in doing 20, 30, 40 push-ups. Nothing fun. There's nothing fun in working on your lower muscles, the legs. It's painful, and the following day you will not walk. That's discipline. That's the word that is used here. You see, we provide, we protect, and we parent. Parents involves teaching. It involves the teaching of precepts, the obeying of precepts. This means you are dealing with the sin of children by disciplining them. Now, please don't listen to the world. They do not borrow from the, from the word of God. They will tell you don't do that, but spare it and spoil your child. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Okay? Job 5, verse 17. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. So what does the Bible really tell us? The base passage about discipline. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6, which is train up a child, which means 
discipline, dedicate to inaugurate a child is your own biological child and every other relative who has desired to come and live under your house and the servants who work in your house as well. Those are children. That's the way God looked at it. Some of us have taken up children that are not our own. Some of us have taken nannies who have children and therefore when they are in your house, they are under your care and you chastise them. And he continues to say, in the way that they should go. That means the direction, the manner, the habit, the moral character that they should go to. And then the Bible says, and when he is old, that means when he is aged, he will not depart from it. I want to encourage a parent here who has a child and you feel that this child has gone wayward. This child is in their 20s. And you're wondering why he really has gone so far. It is a heartache to you. You cry every night. It is a heartache to the father. He does not even want to be associated with that kid. The promise that we get in this passage of scripture is train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, look at the promise. Is he old yet? No. He's not old yet. God gives them an opportunity to make their own mistakes so that he can turn their miseries into a ministry. So don't get so exasperated about what is happening to them now. If you dedicated them to the Lord, if you did everything you knew to do, albeit imperfectly in raising them, they will turn to the Lord ultimately. That's, that's the promise that I would like to give you. He says when they are old. I'm not old yet. I'm 51. I'm not old yet. I'm, my, my mother is lucky that at 27, 20, 25, I desire to give my life to Christ and turn back and begin to serve God. My mother is happy that all the eight of us in our family, all of us have chosen the straight and narrow path. She's a blessed woman because she prayed for us. When the child just before me passed on, my mother made a prayer and said, God, let this young man live to make a difference. And when I was young, I would pray and people would cry. I would pray for rain during a famine and women would cry. I, I saw angels in my young age. And when I got to the age seven, when I got to primary school, I started deviating from the Lord who loved me and who had used me prophetically in many instances. When I went to high school, I went to a school called Nanyuki High School where Bang was the middle name of the school. Almost everyone in that school was taking Bang and breaking into more Equita girls to try and see if we could get a few girls there. I wondered what was holding me back when I didn't take bang and when I didn't join the convoy that went to more Equita girls to break in. I wondered why. I wondered why I was not promiscuous, but I had a praying mother. But I still decided to deviate from the God that I knew when I got to high school, to, to the university, I found freedom that I have never found. And for the first time in my life, I saw Beer being served in buckets, it was called toivo. And I took a sip of it, not much, and I threw up like a moving train and scratched myself as in I was beaten by some ants or something. God was working on me big time that I would never go into booze again. What I did not know is that I had a praying mother who was praying for me in the midst of all this. When my mother started seeing Bone 7007, you know, you know those sachets of, of, of beer in my room, she went to her knees. When she started seeing me walking in a company of men who were abusing and abusing drugs, she started praying for me. At the university, I remember looking at one of my friends who mentored me, and I told him, 
why do you preach to me as if Christ is the only way to heaven? That's the fire had gone. And this man just looked at me. He had no words. He walked away. But in 1995, I turned my heart around, gave my life to Christ, and called my mother and told her, and she did cartwheels in her old age. If you are disappointed by the way a child is going right now, remember the promise that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Trust me, they will come back. Children are depraved and must be nurtured with discipline. Behold, I, brought, I was brought forth iniquity, verse, Psalm 51, verse 5, and sin, my mother conceived me. In sin, my mother conceived me. That means that the Adamic nature is in them. And so our responsibility is to discipline them. They are born sinners. Spare the road, and you're going to spoil the child. The Bible is very clear. He who spares the road hates his child. But he who loves disciplines him promptly. Now, sometimes we teach our children disobedience because of the way we discipline them. John Wesley, a well-known preacher, said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from any theologian in England. This is the kind of mother he had, I quote. Susanna Wesley, the mother of Charles Wesley and John Wesley, had 15 other children in addition to these two. She had 17 of them. That man, his quiver was full of them. And these are the rules that she followed in training them. Subdue the self-will in the child and thus work together with God to save his soul. Teach them to pray as soon as they can speak. Give them nothing they cry for and only what they are, or, or no, or only what is good for them if they ask for it politely. Using the keywords, my daughter knows the keywords. To prevent lying, punish no fault which is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious, sinful act to go unnoticed. Never. Not one. Command and reward good behavior and strictly observe all promises you have made to your children. I had a call with my son one day. They said, you know, the way you disciplined me may have given me this predisposition or that predisposition. I said it did not. It was supposed to drive foolishness out of you. And we know today children are coming home after they have done their social studies saying, you cannot discipline me. I had a lady in, in, in UK who had a child come in. If you discipline me, social services are going to come after you. He said, I am disciplining you now. You choose whether you want to go to social services or you want to live in my house. And he chose to live in the house under discipline. So do not use empty threats on your children. Follow through. Instead of repeating yourself many times, I told you, I told you, discipline them. Instead of counting to three, if I count up to three and you are not in your room, this is teaching them disobedience. Discipline them. Don't count for them. Stop yelling at your children. Discipline them. They are vipers in diapers. We need to close this. So we bring the mom not just in training but in admonition. This is now where you teach. Please remember, you never discipline a child if you have not taught them. You first of all sit down and teach them. Then you come to a place where you rebuke them lightly and tell them this is not the way it should go. And if they persist on that path, 
you begin to now discipline them. In the book of Hebrews 12, verse 6 and following, the Bible gives us a method of, of discipline. The Holy Spirit rebukes us. If we don't listen to his rebuke, he chastises us. Chastisement comes in. Chastisement is like emotional separation, where you tell a child to go to the corner or speak to the wall or speak to the hand. And then there is a third level that is called scourging. Scourging is like what Jesus was done, being beaten by whips on the back until he bled almost to death. And sometimes God allows us to go through this because sometimes we are so hard of hearing that we will not hear him. Sometimes it will take an ICU bed for God to have his attention of us. I pray to God that that doesn't happen to us. Bring them up in the admonition, the call to attention, the mild rebuke, the instruction of the Lord. This is the sphere of teaching. This is how we shape their biblical worldview. I want you to listen to me carefully. If you don't indoctrinate your children with the word of God, they are going to be indoctrinated in their schools and in the community with critical risk theory. If you don't tell them what the Bible says, they will be told what a male chauvinist says. If you don't tell them what the Bible says here, they will be told what the feminists say on this side, the radical ones. So it is up to you. What do you want? You see, doctrine is important. And this is where we teach them. This is where we teach them catechism. Catechism is not a Catholic word. This is where we reason. We ask questions and answers. You know, um, you know who is God? He pre-existed and there was no one else before him. In what forms, in how many forms does God manifest himself as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? And this is question and answer. This is catechism. Tell them what you believe. Go back home and ask you, what do you really believe? And write everything you believe on a notebook. If you go beyond a page, you're doing very well. But you should have several pages of your belief. Now, make sure you know what you believe so that you can teach them what to believe. Help them to memorize scripture when they are young. Because when they get older, they will not depart from it. Three things that we draw out of Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 4. First is the requirement to obey parents. Second is the respect towards parents. And third is the regulation of parental authority. All these must be done within the self-revealed will of God. Fathers, this is for you. This passage of scripture, I want you to memorize it. Men, as we meet together, we probably will do a bit of scripture memory on this one. Genesis 18, verse 19. It says, it's speaking to Abraham, for I have known all I have chosen him, Abraham, in order that he may command, which means direct, his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring Abraham what he spoke, what he has spoken of him. I want you to notice, it was not just for information, it was for obedience. It's like the Great Commission. As fathers, we are commanded by God not just to teach our children to know, but to teach our children to do. This is a huge responsibility, gentlemen. It's a huge responsibility. And he is committing and saying that if you do these things, the things that God has promised Abraham, he will bring to pass. Does that mean then that there are certain echelons of your purpose as a man that you have not achieved because you have not taught your children to obey. We don't teach people to know. Christianity is not a knowing religion. It's a doing religion. It's a doing one. I want you to really think about these things. Think about your children. Think about your own parents as we close. 
And I want you to really allow your heart to be pensive throughout this week as you begin to ask a few questions to the Lord. Uh, and this will be my way of altar call. What goals are you going to set in line with the family that is at war, your own submission in, in the family, love in the family, and obedience in the family? And once you have decided you want to set a few goals in each of those areas, including where it does not concern you, because you need to direct your children to obey, you need to help your wife submit, and your wife needs to help you love her. Once you have done those goals, ask yourself, what is the one thing that if you did, and I'm getting these ideas from my book, Productive Execution, would have the most impact? Where do you want to start? If you, if you look at these four areas and you set five goals in each one of them, that will be 20 different goals that you have to attain. That's too much for you. Which is the one that if you did would give you the most return? Action. What specific actions are you going to take to realize that goal? Um, and help yourself come back. We do this for the strategy of our organizations. For heaven's sake, we should do the same for ourselves. We do not export to the corporate what we have not imported in our own lives. I spend 60% of my life in the corporate world teaching. I spend, the, I mean, a, a, sh a short period of time teaching in church. And so I know where you lie during the week because I have been there. I go there every week. Preaching is not all I do. I'm not a full-time pastor. I'm a teacher of God's word. But I have to do everything you do every day to fed for myself. So action is something that we take for strategy. What actions will you take? What measures will be there? If I meet you a year down the line and ask you, how fulfilled is your family? What are the measures that you'll give me? These are the measures of a fulfilled family. I'm doing one out of 10 on this one, 10 out of 10 on this one, six out of 10 on this one. How will you measure that? Who are you going to hold yourself accountable to? Would you call your best couple and say, out of this someone series, we've decided to do a few things differently. And this is where I would like you to come in and hold me accountable. Can you call your best friend and say, I feel a little bit drawn to somebody in the office in, in the wrong way. Would you hold me accountable and ask, how did that board meeting go? And how did that luncheon meeting go? How did that drink up in the evening go? To just keep you in the straight and narrow. So the idea here is to have great goals, to optimize priorities according to productive execution, to take action, to measure your progress, and to hold yourself accountable. God has given us his word to discipline us. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That's what Paul told Timothy, and we need to do this. In what ways do you want to come to God in repentance, and how do you want God to help you? Throughout the week, do this. Take a day, fast for yourself. When is the last time you did that for your family? Pray for your wife. I know she cooks great meals. Tell her that um, today you don't feel particularly like eating. Don't tell her you're praying for her. That would be too prideful. Fast and pray for your family. This is a great thing to do. Let's stand and make sure that we fight for our families. We fight for our children. We fight for our wives. We fight for our husbands. We fight for our friends and everything that is associated to us. Let's bow our head in prayer. Father, we thank you for the principle that secures family fulfillment, the principle of war, the principle of submission, the principle of love, and the principle of obedience. Lord, help us to realize that we are 
much, as much serving God in looking after our children, in training them up in the way that they should go in fear and admonition of the Lord, minding the house, making our household a church for God, as we would if he called us to go to battle for the Lord of hosts. Teach our hearts, O oh Lord, to trust when we don't seem to see our children choosing the way of the cross. Help us to leave them to you because, God, you have a wonderful plan for them. Lord, would you help us, O oh Lord, to be strong enough to know when we are weak in parenting and brave enough to face ourselves when we are afraid as parents. Help us not to be proud, to be proud and unbending in honest defeat when we goof up as our parents and help us, Lord Jesus, to be humble and gentle in victory of how our children turn out. Would you give us the grace to be parents? Would you give us that love for them? the love that disciplines, the love that does not spare the road, the love that helps us to raise up straight children who mind godliness. So we commit ourselves to you and your able hands that are able to keep us from falling. We commit those families that are at crossroads and are struggling in raising their children in their marriages. Father, would you heal them in ways that they've never known or understood before? Lord, you have said in your word so clearly that it is how we finish that matters. Help us understand that our success will not be measured by the humbleness of our start, but by the greatness of our finish. Help us to finish strong in the work that you give us as families. We give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go fight for your families. Amen. Please help me appreciate Anthony. And we can stand at this point as we close the service. I like what he has told us, that we go and do for ourselves what we do in the workplace. We go for retreats. It's okay to take a personal retreat and have these conversations um, with you, with God by yourself. Uh, we want to say the words of grace. And after this, we'll have a, a, a song that we are going to dedicate to you as you go to take your mutungo and tea. Um, by a group called BMF that says, Ukisoma sana uende Nairobi o Hulaya, usije sahau baba na mama, shoka gishagi, that is Greek for go back to the village and find out how they are doing. Amen? And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Anthony, thank you so much. And we look forward to part B of this sermon series, which shall be fulfilled individuals in the second half of this year. God bless you and have a lovely week. <laughs>